Good morning, Lord. We thank you for the year gone by, and we pray especially now for the year that is ahead of us. Lord, we commit our lives to you. We want to pray, Lord, that this year would be a really meaningful year, live with you, empowered by your Spirit to make it um, a meaningful and a blessed year for ourselves and for all those you place across our path, that they too would be recipients of God's grace as you channel it through us. So Lord, um, help me now and help all of us to stay attentive to what the Spirit has to say to us today. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Scripture. Let's turn to Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 18 to 25. Luke chapter 9, from verse 18. Luke chapter 9, verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, The Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? So with these words, we begin a very serious start to 2014. Um, we're going to tackle some of Jesus' most challenging words, most in-your-face challenges that he gave to his disciples. And so over the next six weeks, you know the drill, sermon here on Sunday, please join a cell group. There is a, a, a video of about 20, 25 minutes followed by cell group discussions and cell group prayer and holding one another accountable, helping one another to live this Christian life. Together, as one church, we, we do this. And we also encourage you to journal along these next six weeks some of the thoughts that God will place in your mind, some of the challenges that you feel you need to take up. Today is the first of the six, and the title is Fan or Follower. There is also a memory verse for each week if you follow along that booklet, Not a Fan, that you have. And today's verse is verse 20. 20 um, Three, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So that is a very, very simple one to, to, to memorize. Let me first of all give you uh, an idea of what this video is like. It's actually, it's actually a movie, all right, uh, about the life of this man and his family. But then it is broken up into six parts so that as a cell group, you can watch it and uh, follow along with discussion. So let me show you the trailer.
can't believe you're the same guy that sits down to pee for me on Sundays. You think you can just steal my clients? I was relieving them from your incompetence. I quit. One more. Just one more. Just one more. <laughs> yeah, that's what you always say. This isn't church, it's business. The sooner you learn that, the better. A fan is simply defined as an enthusiastic admirer. So let me just come right out and ask you a question. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you really just a fan? I suppose more than any other word, that word defines what it means to follow Jesus. We die to ourselves and follow him. What if I died, Gary? You didn't. What if God's trying to tell me something? Or like what? Excuse me, sir. Do you think you could spare us a little something? We have this huge house and all this stuff, and I almost lost my family. Obviously, we need more than this. Woman needs to know a man is looking out for her. There are rules in life. All the good intentions in the world can't change that. You get to decide to make less money. Yeah, but we're the ones who have to live with that. Why can't you see that? You know what I see? I see that kid. To do nothing is not an option. And so Jesus turns to the crowd, and he turns to you and me. And he asks the one question that will ultimately define our lives. Are you a fan or a follower? Because you are Saint Eric the Martyr. We all know we're the ones carrying your cross. Go on, walk away. You've been walking away from God all your life. Why should today be any different? I walked away from him because I thought he was like you. We sell all of our stuff. We quit our good jobs. We sell our homes. I mean, it stinks, but we suck it up and we do it anyway, right? I mean, this is what we're supposed to do, isn't it? Haven't I always done what you've said? Why are you punishing me? This is the most difficult thing I've ever done. Yeah, I've got to say a few things about this movie. First of all, it's a very, very, very American movie. Okay? And so we need to distinguish between the style and the substance. When I first saw this, I was really put off because... The writer of the book, Not a Fan, is the pastor of a church, and he puts himself inside the movie. And while the movie is going on, he, he's part actor, he's part commentator. He's so American. He's so self-promoting. Uh, and it really put me off. But then when I got to the end, to the sixth video, I was holding back tears because it was so inspirational. I, I was so challenged by it. And actually, I found out about this series from uh, a brother, brother, brethren church, <laughs> Bethesda Frankel uh, Estate uh, Church. 
and, and they went through it last year and found that it was good, so uh, we, we took this up. So if you are put off by the first video, don't be, okay? Carry on to the end, and I, I, and I pray that all of us will, chal- will be challenged uh, by this. Right, so let's move on. What is DTR? Anybody heard of DTR? I guess not, because I, I went to ask uh, Joanne, who heads up our youth ministry, and I said, can you ask around your, your, your youth? Have they heard about what DTR means? And of all the youth, she said only one knows what DTR means. It means define the relationship. Define the relationship. And then a couple of days later, she sent me another email. Oh, another one uh, knows, and this no longer youth, uh, has gone to America, gone to Stanford University. And she says, it's a common phrase. It's a common phrase in America. It's just not so common for us. So DTR means define the relationship. Usually, it's kind of like, you know, the, the guy, the man doesn't want to define the relationship because he wants to sow wild oats. He wants to have many girlfriends. And, and the girl usually, you know, is the one who wants a stable relationship, who's thinking about marriage and children, and therefore wants to define the relationship. Recently, I don't know, any of you interested in Kento Pop? You know about Sammy Cheng? I think so, huh? And they said that, wow, oh, she had this relationship with, with this guy, Andy Hui, for more than 20 years. Now, in between, there was a seven-year period, they broke apart. Now they're getting married. Now the relationship is defined after more than 20 years. Once I was counselling a, a young fellow and, well, he had some problems with his girlfriend and the relationship was blowing hot and cold. I uh, found a girlfriend quite demanding because the girlfriend demanded that, that uh, you must join me uh, when I study in, in the university library. And at the same time, uh, she was able to go out with other boys as well. And I didn't know the word DTR at that time. And so I asked, so what is your relationship? What is it? Uh, are you going steady or are you not? Are you boyfriend, girlfriend, or are you not? And, and the guy was, was very magnanimous. He said, I think we are, but I also allow her to go out with other boys because I am a big man. But as far as old-fashioned me was concerned, it wasn't a relationship, right? They are not boyfriend and girlfriend because if they are, it's got to be exclusive. Well, for some of us, these six weeks, I think, may well be very uncomfortable, an uncomfortable six weeks. You may well be very comfortable with your current arrangement with the Lord Jesus. But these next six weeks, you will be asked to DTR, to define that relationship what is that relationship? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? There is another DTR. It's called diluting the relationship. Where you will be taught in, in, by different teachers that, oh, Christianity is an effortless Christianity. You don't have to make any effort. Jesus has done it all for you. And you're going to be healthy. You're going to be wealthy. Jesus is your best buddy. And diluting the relationship of master, servant, lord, and follower is going to kill you. This guy, Robert Courtney, was a pharmacist. He was a deacon in a church in Kansas. He was an upstanding citizen, if any. 
so it seems. His father, who was an itinerant preacher, called him the ideal son. In 1990, Robert began to dilute prescriptions as a pharmacist to increase his profits. And then in 1998, Eli Lilly, one of the big pharmaceutical companies, one of the sales representatives, noticed a discrepancy between the amount of cancer drugs that he sold to Robert Courtney and um, that Robert Courtney bought and Robert Courtney sold. It's different. He bought so little, yet he sold a lot. And so Eli Lilly began an internal investigation. But they couldn't find proper proof. And so the investigation was dropped. A few years later, in 2001, that same sales representative of the big pharmaceutical firm, Eli Lilly, mentioned this matter to a nurse who was in that same building that Robert Courtney was in. It was an oncology nurse, a cancer nurse. And then this nurse uh, decided to do a test on the drugs that she received from this Robert Courtney, the pharmacist, and indeed found that it was diluted. And so, <clears throat> began an investigation. They finally found that between 1998 and 2001, Robert Courtney diluted 98,000 prescriptions that were given to 4,200 patients. And in 2002, Robert Courtney pled guilty <clears throat> to 20 federal charges and was sentenced to 30 years in, in prison. People die when you dilute drug doses. People also die when the gospel is diluted. When your relationship is diluted to just being a fan of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I'm a fan. But not a follower of Jesus. Even if he's a deacon of a church. What is our memory verse today? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a very simple two-point sermon today. If you define your relationship with Jesus as a follower and not a fan, then you need to do two things. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And a simple way to think about deny and take up is this. One is a don't and one is a do. Deny yourself, don't. Take up the cross, do. So firstly, deny self. Deny, to deny ourselves is to deny our flesh as the older English version will go. And the newer English version says to deny our sinful nature, to deny our carnal self, to deny our pride, not to sit on the throne of our lives and to refuse to let God sit on the throne of our lives, to refuse to let God be the king of our lives. There is within us a war between God's spirit and our flesh, our carnal self. And both are warring to sit on the throne. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says to us, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature or the flesh in another translation. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. That is that self-will versus God's will. Spirit control or flesh or self-control. You mess this up, you die. There was a man in history 
who is from whom this quote came, who denied himself nothing. Anybody knows who this man is? This man denied himself nothing. And you can find this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. This is about King Solomon. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I gave in to everything that myself desired. King Solomon. And we all know how he ended up. He built this beautiful, was it temple? No. It was a stadium. It was a stadium for God. He had health. He had wealth. He had wisdom. But he had a bad ending. Colossians 3 verse 5 then tells us, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly, your sinful, your fleshly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. So King Solomon took his life into his own sinful hands and sinful desires. Whatever the sinful self wants, it gets. And there was no denying of self. He had a big temple, he had an even bigger palace, he was a fan, he was not a follower. What about Jesus? Jesus denied himself. Luke chapter 22, verse 42, in that prayer at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That means don't let me go to the cross, don't let me suffer, yet not my will, but yours be done. And he denied himself and he followed the Father's will all the way to the cross. And so Jesus got his DTR right. Jesus defined that relationship right between himself and the Heavenly Father. He was not in control. God was in control and he submitted to his Father's will. <clears throat> so what do we do? We always try, don't we? We try our best to submit to his will. We try our best to deny our own willfulness. But you and I know that it doesn't work. So it's not so much trying your best, it is to trust in God's best. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him first and He will make straight your path. It is to trust that God's will is best for us and not to rely on our own self-will. So we're trying each day to follow Jesus. No, it's trusting each day in Jesus' will for your life and therefore denying yourself each day to follow Jesus. The story about a father talking to a son and say, son, are you, are you trying your best? Are you using all your strength in, in this project? And the son says, yes, I'm trying my best, but I can't get it done. The father says, you have not yet tried your best because you have not yet asked me to help you in this project. So that's the, story, the, the, the lesson for us, to, to learn to ask God, the Spirit, to help us. But Christian faith, the Christian faith is not all about no, right? We do not want to be defined as a, a, a religion of, of no's and don't do this and don't do that. It's not all about denying ourselves. It's not about asceticism. It's about taking up something positively. Taking up something positively to follow Jesus. We deny ourselves, yes, don't do this, don't do that, but we take up the cross. Do this, do that. So taking up the cross. 
In John chapter 3, the story is told of Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus was uh, a Pharisee. He was one of the ruling council, it says. The ruling council is a body called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin has 72 elders, 72 uh, um, leaders of religion. And Nicodemus was one of these 72 top shots. But he came to Jesus at night. Now, if Nicodemus had come to Jesus in the daytime, where he walked, the people would part ways to allow him to go straight to Jesus because he was a respected member of the community and of the religious community. Why did, G did Nicodemus come to Jesus at night? I think Nicodemus couldn't do what Nicodemus, what Nicodemus couldn't do was to have a disruption in his lifestyle, especially his day job, which was a member of the Sanhedrin, because he had a reputation to preserve. He was not yet willing to pay the price because there was a cost in following Jesus. Nicodemus was a fan of Jesus, not a follower yet. To take up the cross, you use this phrase, take up the cross, very loosely and, and very often we say, oh, this is my cross to bear. And often this, we refer to the mother-in-law, don't we? Oh, this is my cross to bear. Or if it is a woman, oh, my husband is my cross to bear because he breaks wind during dinner all the time or, or something like that. <clears throat> or this is my cross to bear, a very boring job or, or an illness. And it's defined like it's just a little burden to bear. It's almost in the same category as God help those who help themselves. But please note that the cross to bear is not something forced upon us. It says, take it up. So we take up the cross. It is not Jesus forcing the cross onto us. We take up the cross. And why is, why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? Why not a dove for peace? It's very nice. Why not a rainbow for, for God and God's promises? Why not a shepherd's staff that God will guide us and lead us to green pastures? Why two bloody beams? For which many of us are now wearing, right? We wear the cross when we need to bear the cross. The first century people, people in Jesus' days, know what it was like to carry the cross. Because the cross was a symbol of humiliation. When you are nailed to the cross, you are nailed there naked. You are exposed publicly. It's sort of like Nicodemus thinking about that symbol of humiliation and saying, I want to follow Jesus, but please don't let me be embarrassed in front of my denominational leaders, in front of my 71 other heads of religion. Or, I want to follow Jesus, but it must not jeopardize my, my day job. My day job is to be a ruler in the Sanhedrin. Or, I want to follow Jesus, but, but not if it costs me some inconvenience. Perhaps it was like that. Or, I want to follow Jesus, but please don't ask me for, to forgive those who hurt me. I will not. I simply will not. I want to follow Jesus, but please don't ask me to give my hard-earned money in the offering bag. I will not. 
I want to follow Jesus, but please don't talk to me about my relationships, my holidays with my girlfriend, the websites that I go to. That's out of bounds to Jesus. The cross, a symbol of humiliation. The cross is a symbol of, of suffering. You know that the, the cross is a very inefficient way of killing someone? It's totally inefficient. It takes a long time for the fellow to die. You've got to have people to set up the cross. You've got to saw the wood, make the, the, the wood. You've got to guard the cross people because even today, people steal metal pipes. In the old days, they would have stolen away the wooden beams. You've got to guard it. There's space needed because the cross first got to be on the, on the ground and you nail the guy to it. You've got to have a nice space. And you cannot take up the cross without suffering because the cross is not just the cross. Before the cross is that scourging so that your back is all bloodied and wounded and then you carry that cross on the back up a hill. There is suffering. It is a symbol of suffering. One, uh, 2 Timothy 3, uh, oops, I missed. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted and will suffer. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for Him. So if any Christian teacher tells you that suffering is not part of the deal, then it is very, very wrong. Suffering is part of the deal of becoming a follower of Jesus. Maybe not as a fan, but certainly as a follower. And therefore, as a follower of Jesus, it's got to cost us something and we've got to count the cost. But someone once said that you should really count the cost of not following. That, I think, is a higher cost. And that's, that is why, at least in this church, we, are, we, are, we, we simply will preach against the health and wealth gospel where everything is fine and if it's not fine, then there's something wrong with you and something wrong with your faith. Everything is not fine in a sinful world that we are living in. That is not always the guarantee of health and wealth. So we come back to Nicodemus. In, in John chapter 7, you can see the faith of Nicodemus developing. When, when Nicodemus now tried to defend Jesus, but subtly, subtly he's telling his, his ruling council, hey, we need due process. We've got to give the guy a chance. He says, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing from him to find out what he's doing? He's telling his, his 71 other people. And what did he get? The 71 other people, are you from Galilee? Are you from Ulu, Ulu, Galilee? Look at it and you will find that the prophet does not come out of Galilee. And straight away, he was penalized for standing up that little bit to say we need due legal process. Are you from Galilee? He was moving in his journey from fan to follower by introducing due process for Jesus. And thirdly, <clears throat> The cross is a symbol of, of death. Martin Luther King, <coughs> uh, whose birthday was celebrated recently, I think 60 years or something, the, the guy who fought for uh, black emancipation in America, understood what taking up the cross involves. He said this, if a man happens to be 36 years old, as I happen to be uh, when Martin Luther was 36, and some great truth stands at the door of his life, some great opportunity to stand up for what is right and for what is just. And he refuses to stand up. 
because he wants to live a little longer and because he's afraid that his home will get bombed or he's afraid that he will get shot, well, he may go on and he may live until he's 80 years old. And the cessation of breathing in his life is merely the belated announcement of an earlier death of his spirit. He's already dead at 36 if he refuses to take up the cross. Man dies when he refuses to stand up for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to take a stand for that which is true. That was Martin Luther King, and he died. He died because he stood for what is right and what is just. So followers, followers of Jesus like Martin Luther King, take up that cross willingly. Take up what is right. And they are prepared not just to be humiliated, not also just to suffer, but also to die. And therefore, my brothers in Romans chapter 12, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. To deny self-will, to submit to God's will, to take up the cross of humiliation, suffering, and death. And that is to be a, a living sacrifice. And that is our spiritual act of worship. It is the right to do. Anything that is redemptive is the right thing to do. Anything that is redemptive is the cross, and we need to pick it up. And so Paul was able to say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Living by faith in Jesus, taking up the cross, taking up that which is right to do, is a response of love. And that's what Paul was able to say because of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He was able to, to respond in love. So we come back to, to Nicodemus. Tradition has it that Nicodemus became a follower of Jesus and he was martyred for his faith. He died for his faith. In John chapter 19, we find Nicodemus carrying 75 pounds of spices. 75 pounds is quite heavy. It's very noticeable. You cannot hide it in your sleeve and in your pockets to carry 75 pounds of spices and go secretly to bury Jesus. He got to carry a sack and it is noticeable. And he carried it on the day of preparation for the Sabbath. Again, very noticeable. He said, hey, where's Nicodemus? 71 of us here, one is missing. Where is he? He's carrying a sack of 75 pounds of spices to go and bury Jesus. It was a very inconvenient time. It was a day of preparation. It was the right thing to do. Nicodemus took it up in a response of love and he went ahead and did it. And finally, you can say that Nicodemus was not a fan anymore. He was a follower. And so God puts different burdens in our hearts, I believe, that we need to take up seriously. For some, it'll be some justice uh, issue, maybe about 
foreign workers or something, and for some it'll be about children, and they got to get the the best education, and and against uh, uh, abuse of children, or, or some it'll be something else. When that burden is placed in your heart, that becomes a cross that you need to pick up. You need to take up because you know that it is a right thing to do, and you need to take up the cross. It may cost us humiliation, suffering, even death. But our natural response when we are not submitted to God as a follower of Jesus, it be, we will have a, a thousand and one uh, reasons. Oh, when, when, when my parent dies, when my parent dies and they no longer object to my faith, ah, then I'll take it up. Or, or when I get my inheritance, then I have money to do stuff. I have money to give to God. I have money to pursue ministry. Or when I graduate from university, or when I get married, or when my kids come, or, or when I have a less demanding job, then I'll really follow Jesus. So it could be that some of us have DTR too long, deferred too long, or taken too long to define the relationship to the extent that we have diluted the relationship. There is this story of a father coming to a pastor and saying, hey, Pastor, you really need to talk to my, my daughter's fiancé because he's not a believer and I don't want them to be unequally yoked. So the pastor talks to the fiancé and, and soon enough, the, the guy received Jesus and, and decided that, yes, yes, Jesus died for my sins, went to the cross for me, I want to follow him. Eight months after the wedding, now the guy, the son-in-law comes back to to the pastor and say, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I've been told by my father-in-law to throttle back on my faith. Throttle back. That means don't put so much gas on it. Huh? In, a, in a pilot way, you will pull back the throttle. Throttle back on my faith. My father-in-law is telling me that you, you give 10% of your income to, to the church and, and you quit working on Sunday uh, so as to be able to to worship God, that money should go into a new house for the family so that my daughter can live in a nice house. And the father-in-law said, I'm really glad that you're a Christian and all now. But you know, Jesus never asked you to be a fanatic. In fact, the Bible says everything in moderation. Does it? Yeah. Nowadays, it's very simple, right? Just type in moderation. In, in the Bible, and I find that it's not there. It's not there. Everything in moderation, the Christian faith in moderation, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. In fact, Jesus challenges us in Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your deeds to the church in Laodicea. He says, you are neither hot nor cold. And I wish you were either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Those are serious words from Jesus. So, brothers and sisters here, are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? A follower denies himself, take up the cross. Let me try and differentiate between a fan and a follower. Okay? Uh, uh, a fan is, is a person who finds inspiration in Jesus, but a follower is indwelt by the Spirit of Jesus, who interferes in his life and willing to be interfered with. A fan is one who wants just some make up to my, my life, but a, a follower is prepared to have a total makeover in his life. A fan will approach Jesus at night only, secretly hidden, but the follower follows Jesus 
all day long. A fan is one who gives intellectual assent to the words of Jesus. Yes, these are very, very good words in the Bible. But a follower is the one who completely surrenders himself to what Jesus demands and teaches in the Word of God. A fan will come to Jesus if it costs nothing. A follower is prepared to give up everything and, and, and if it costs everything to follow Jesus. A fan seeks forgiveness. A follower is prepared to repent. A fan is happy if it is convenient to be a Christian. A follower is fully committed. A fan seeks happiness. A follower seeks holiness. A fan wears the cross. A follower bears the cross. And a fan looks to Christianity as therapy. But a follower looks upon the theology of God as Almighty God. How do I conclude? Well, think about it this way. One day, you see me at a fancy restaurant, very intimate with another woman. And then you come to the table and you confront me. And then I tell you, oh, it's all right. It's all right. I have a date night with Angeline. It's only on Thursday night. The other days of the week, I can go with any other woman I like. I'm free to date other women. And so you leave this table disgusted. On Sunday, you come to church and then you go and talk to Angeline. You know, your husband, uh, I saw him, you know, intimate dinner. And Angeline says, oh, it's all right. It's all right. Our date night is Thursday night. So long as he, as he doesn't love the other woman more than he loves me, I'm okay. Doesn't that sound absurd? So define the relationship. Our relationship is exclusive, Right? Forsaking all others, I cleave only to you from the date of marriage onwards. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. But truth be told, when I first started dating, I didn't want to DTR at all. I wanted many, many girlfriends. Spread your risk. And at one time, I was so magnanimous, and so Angeline went out with another guy. Shall I say his name? I think his name is Andy. And I stayed awake all night knowing that she went out with this other guy. Soon after that, I cannot tahan already. I said, I very quickly decided that I needed to DTR or we needed to DTR. We needed to define this relationship. When, when you find true love, you will be more than willing to grant exclusivity. So I'm not going to go out with any other girls and you're not going to go out with any other guys. Is that our relationship? Yes. And you will sell everything for this pearl of great price. And you will sell everything and get all the money to buy this field within which is buried treasure. You will want to DTR. You will want to define that relationship as being exclusive, loving, sacrificial. And so the Lord Jesus is asking, is it time to DTR? Is it time for all of us here to define the relationship? And then to imagine first service, second service, and, and all our services combined, maybe 500 people, all of us denying ourselves, bearing the cross, taking up the cross, and following Jesus. Okay, not fan. Fanatic, okay? Is that okay? 
fanatic, fanatically following Jesus. What would this church be like? So what is that relationship now? We are child of a loving Heavenly Father. We are follower of Jesus. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the relationship. Loved of the Father, led by the Son, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This is uh, first Sunday of the year. I don't know if any of us have made any New Year's resolution. Let me help you. Let me give you a tool um, to, to think about a New Year resolution. It's, it's a matrix like this. If you look at your time, your talents, and your treasure, and then you see on this axis, <clears throat> what is it about your time that you need to deny self? And what is it about your time that you need to take up the cross? So let me give you an example, okay? On time, to deny self, I will stop playing Candy Crush. <laughs> and to take up the cross, whatever is redemptive, and the Bible tells us to redeem the time for the days are evil, right? So maybe I will do uh, online Bible, Bible course uh, or, or, or something that is beneficial. Okay, let's look at talents. Even though I'm very good at Candy Crush, I would deny myself and I would stop playing Candy Crush. Right? To deny myself. And then my talent, my talent is uh, I'm a good teacher and so I will go to CSC and give tuition uh, to the children. By the way, we still need primary four tuition teachers for, I believe it's English and, and math. Okay? Primary four level. That's my talent. Let me use it for God. Maybe my talent is in graphic design and constantly we need graphic designers to help us to do brochures and and invitation flyers uh, for our various activities in church. So use your talent. Take up. Could be a cross for you. Okay, but take it up. Treasure. Okay, I'm going to stop Candy Crush anymore. Uh, treasure. <coughs> Maybe instead of buying the latest gadget, go and help the poor. And then the other three things about thought, word, and deed. What are thoughts that you need to deny self? Uh, I speak among <coughs> some of my, my friends and when we meet for, for dinners, it's always about money, you know. Always. Uh, this share, that share, this thing, that thing, and this business deal and that business deal. Maybe that will be some of the areas that you deny yourself uh, thought-wise and to focus your thoughts on other things that is positive. Take up the cross. Maybe on word, you need, need to deny yourself certain bad words that you've been using, certain ungracious words. And to take up the cross is that daily I will speak only words of grace. And then, from ungracious deeds to gracious deeds, go and join a cell group. <laughs> this coming Saturday, if you've never done capping before, which is community adoption and pastoring, go out to the neighbourhood, knock on the door, and there are certain families that we're giving out uh, groceries to, uh, and just see the joy uh, on their faces, okay? Uh, even when we give two oranges, there is so much joy. Because if we don't do that as a church together, like as an army together, we are not going to open the doors to all the stories you heard about on Thanksgiving uh, uh, service uh, last week. That is the ballast that we need, that uh, 300 of us, four times a year, we go out into the community doing quite meaningless things, as some of, of, of us uh, have, have said. I just give something, it takes me one and a half hours. I really want to get involved with the family, but we need that. We need that balance. 
so that the doors will be open to us, so that the MP will then refer uh, cases to us. And so, <laughs> deny self, take up the cross. And among this matrix, what is your New Year's resolution? Actually, resolution, I think, is not a right word because it suggests resolution. And that's why year after year after year is the same thing. Right? Resolution. You try to solve this and then you resolve it and resolve it and resolve it. It should be revolution. Revolution from fan to fanatic, from fan to follower. Because as a follower, you are no longer in charge. God is in charge. If you can revolve that and put Jesus on top, the throne of your life, that's when your life will change. Placing God first. Okay, let me invite the musicians to come and, and we sing this hymn again, I Surrender All. If you have this booklet, and one of the wonderful things that uh, Bethesda Frankel has done was that in every week they selected a hymn and they tell us the history behind that hymn. Okay? And so this week is I Surrender All and I thought it was so appropriate for a New Year resolution. And we sing this song as a prayer. Indeed, will we surrender to Jesus? <coughs> Shall we stand? Jesus, I surrender all to
learn this year to be a follower of Jesus, surrendering all. Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power. Let Thy blessing follow me. Let's define our relationship as one who is beloved of the Father, a follower of Jesus, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. sell all and buy this pearl of great price. We will sell all and buy this field within which there is buried treasure. Let's make this commitment before the Lord this year, today. And let's do it publicly. Not like Nicodemus approaching Jesus at night make a public confession of faith in Jesus define that relationship follower not fan publicly not secret and ask God to help us it's not by our effort it's by our trusting that God has the best for us it's not by leaning on our own understanding it's by trusting in Jesus promises to help us. So as we close our eyes and bow our head, my wish that we will say, I will deny myself. I will take up the cross. And I'm going to put up my hand as a symbol of that. And dedicate my life to following Jesus. Would you do that? you raise your hands and say I deny myself and take up the cross and I follow Jesus this is my relationship with Jesus follower not fan thank you Lord that you see you see our hearts Lord you see some of the struggles that we make in following you but that your grace is sufficient And Lord, I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that your grace will so overwhelm our lives as beloved of God that that we would be willing to sell everything for that pearl of great price, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is buried treasure there. So thank God for your blessings. Thank you, Lord, for helping us today and this year. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.